Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Dwight, Vic, welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. Uh, I should mention uh, we connected through Ken Oxendine. Yes. Ken, uh, I I asked Ken who who he could uh, get on the podcast, and he he immediately said Dwight Vick, and then he texted me like the first thing he, the next morning after we had uh, recorded together. It was awesome. And then you and I got to yeah. connect, and here we are. And when you and I connected, I almost took two hours out your your day, man, because I'm a talker. But Ken Oxendine <laughs> is my brother, man. He is a special person, a great human being. I was honored to block for him, a Thomas Dale legend. And um, yeah, man, I'm honored to be on, man. Thank you for guys for having me again. Yeah, it's great having you, Dwight. I appreciate you doing this. All right, so uh, you grew up in t- the Tidewater area. Did you grow up at? Were you born in Hampton? Nah, man, I'm a North Carolina guy as far as where I was born. I was born at Duke Medical University at the time in the late 70s. I was uh, one of the largest babies they ever had on record. (laughs) 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 So it was was really cool, man. Um, I was born in Durham, and uh, my sister was born in Raleigh. And then uh, uh, my toddler years, we moved. My mom and dad moved back to Hampton. Uh, my mom and went to Hampton University, and my dad went to Norfolk State, so they returned back home. My mom's from Florida, but my dad grew up in the 757, the Tidewater area, so they returned home, and I grew up in Newport News, and we moved to Hampton, so I grew up in Newport News and Hampton, so I'm a Tidewater guy back when the 757 was actually the 804. People don't yep. realize that. The area code used to be the 804, and I grew up in yep. Hampton, man, and um, it was a great time, man. We didn't have much as far as, you know, fancy cars and things like that but i'm blessed to have a mom and dad who's still together still married have my little sister and family was important man it's the backbone of who i am now i'm married with three children now so i kind of uh resemble what my parents instilled in me yeah that's awesome uh so how did you spend your time when you were like 10 11 12 years old oh man hey listen we uh we were outside man this is before the cold red and cold oranges when it was too hot this is back in the day when, you know, you didn't have dick sporting goods and Models and water bottles. This is when you got thirsty, you drunk out the water holes or you ran in your friend's house and you put two hands together and you cut water from the sink <laughs> and you throw it in your face. Um, this is back when you rode your bike to the corner store and you've had $3, you was rich. So we were outside, man. We played everything from stickball, wall ball, basketball, football, kickball. Um, we made basketball goals on telephone poles, probably against the law then and now. Probably could have got electrocuted, but we didn't give a, you know, we didn't care. And, um, you know, we just were outside, man. It was, it was, you know, it's nostalgic when I reflect on it, man, because it was like that that shirt show, a movie I have a shirt of, and that's the, the Sandlot. I had a crew like that, which I'm still friends with many of those guys. And we just walked around, you know, and, you know, we would take breaks, but then we would play again. And when the street lights came on, I came inside. So... I just grew up, man, you know, emulating guys we saw on TV from Walter Payton to even for me, you know, the Hogs of the old Washington football team, uh, the Redskins at the time. And, you know, you just you played basketball, football, you ran around, you played freeze tag and you just grew up, man. And it was a great sense of community in Hampton and Newport News back then. And um, my childhood was great. But at the same time, to be honest with you guys, you know, um, 
I saw a lot of trauma growing up. I experienced it. You know, you, it wasn't like I was growing up in uh, the Book of Eli. But at the same time, I mean, I grew up in an area where, you know, in the late 80s, the crack epidemic came in and you saw drugs. You saw um, some sad endings to people's lives. But at the end of the day, my mom and dad kept me away from it. You saw it. But, you know, you, you sports and, and church kept me grounded. And um, I knew where to go and what to do and when to leave. So I, I didn't really get caught up, but I saw things, unfortunately, that offended, not offended, excuse me, but hurt. And, and and affected so many people's lives. Uh, yeah, I so I, we can talk about uh, that part of your childhood. I I'm not a. I, I, it sounds uh, awful. I did not grow up that way. I'm more interested in wall ball. What is wall ball? <laughs> so no, it's cool because I don't want to dive into all that either, man. It's just a part of where I'm from. But I I, I had a glorious childhood. Wall ball, we played more at the schools or depending if we were on a, on a build at a building we weren't supposed to. So wall ball, you take a tennis ball and one of them little rubber bouncy balls, five, six, seven guys. or You could even have four guys and you would just throw it against the wall as hard as you can. And if you were trying to, the next person had to catch it. And if he didn't catch it cleanly, he had to run and tag the wall. And the other people grabbed the ball if he missed it or she missed it. Girls sometimes play too. And we would just beam them with the ball. <laughs> so, and, and, and there was, this is before everybody uh, was uh, thinking about childhood safety and abuse. So it didn't matter if you hit them in the eye socket, the head, the eardrum, um, uh, you know, but it was fun, man. Wall ball was something uh, we did a lot at school. Man. And, uh, you know, again, man, I look back, I think, man, anything that was dangerous, we tried. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and your mom and dad didn't have a clue what you were doing, right? You know what, man? Um, I'm a parent now, and it's funny how I'm trying to be aware and be involved. But my mom and dad, you know, this is like I said, guys, it was like when you went outside, it was like, just do your chores, do what you're supposed to do. And you played and um, you were out and about. Um, there was no um, trackers. There was no cell phones. We just were out and about, man. And uh my mom and dad knew I was with friends. And, you know, it's funny, man. You, you knew, even though we walked that fine line between, you know, having a lot of fun and being dangerous, you knew what you weren't supposed to do. At least I did. I, I knew I, if I got caught up, my mom and dad would find out. So we just found anything we can do that was risky, but also excited and got that adrenaline going. So, Dwight, you said you had your parent. How, how many kids do we have? My, in my family i grew up it's just me and my sister oh i'm a parent you mean me as a parent yeah you you now yeah you now oh yeah man i'm married um 20 years been with my wife 24 been married 20 and i have lauren my youngest who is a sixth grader she's 11 and isaiah my only son he's a 15 year old he's already six five past me oh my um, goodness he's a, he's a basketball player he's a hooper um and he's a sophomore and then my oldest daughter sydney uh, she's a senior and she plays volleyball. She had a, she's played volleyball for the last 10 years, if not longer. And she just uh, actually made all district and her, she's not going to play in college, but she's playing varsity basketball. So I, mean, I have a family full of athletes. My wife, Janice, met her at Virginia Tech and um, she's from Northern Virginia. She was an all metro um, track runner here in Northern Virginia, DC, Maryland area in the nineties and probably should have ran collegially, but didn't. But um we met at Virginia Tech at the Volume 2 bookstore. I was in there actually being a student athlete, getting some books 
and ran up in here and she couldn't resist this big daddy game I hit her with. But uh, <laughs> we got uh, we got we got we got three wonderful children, man. And uh, like I said, man, I, I love my family. I love my wife and um, try to be a good dad, man. So so and, and Paul, sorry, I didn't mean to jump us from Dwight being 10 years old to him being married with kids. Um, but and I appreciate that, too. That's cool. But I think all of us on the podcast right now have three kids. And oh. what I was going to yeah, what I was going to ask you is. Or have you had a challenge? Because you mentioned being outside. And I know Rob and Paul and I, we didn't grow up together. I know Rob and Paul grew up together, but we were outside all day long as well. And are you had did you ever have any issues? Or are you currently having issues getting your kids to play outside? Is it all video games? Sounds like your son's playing ball a lot, and that's cool. But but what's it like for you? Uh it's interesting. That's a great question. They do, they're very active. Um, they actually go outside. Now, you know, obviously my oldest daughter is a senior, so now it's college tours and hanging out. Her boyfriend is in college as a freshman and going to homecomings and parties and hanging out with her friends. But Isaiah, today they had a, you know, today's a voting day in Virginia, so they were off. And um, uh, Isaiah was uh, outside playing with some of his teammates. They were putting up shots and shooting and playing 21 and um my youngest daughter goes out with her neighbors her girlfriends and hangs out in the community and um you know it's just it's it's uh it's it's cool it's it's they they're active they isaiah has video games but you know we take it from him during the school year because he's got to focus because you know man these games now everything is so intense they'll play video games for four or five hours now so you have to monitor it but they're, they're very active that's cool. Very cool. You, you're uh, you, it sounds like you're a better father than I am because uh, two of my three, it's hard to get them out of the house. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it, this isn't about my family. It's all good. Uh, so Dwight football, did you know that was going to be a thing from a, a very young age? Because it sounds like you, you you've basically been bigger than your peers. Uh, oh, yeah. Your yeah, entire life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so much easier to find clothes now, but when you are um you know 13 years old and you're six three and a half and wearing a size 13 14 um you know I, i'm i'm a my favorite sport's basketball um i played for boo williams um back before boo williams was the boo williams you know i played um basketball because i was tall and thin but you know i had broad shoulders and I kept putting on weight. So, you know, I was in love with basketball, but my body said, you have to marry football. So <laughs> um, you knew early on, man. And um, I love football. I love basketball. I just love competition. So I kind of knew um, I was going to play football. And then when I got into it, I was like, okay, I want to do this for the rest of my life as long as I can. But like early on, um, we didn't have any specialization. So whatever whatever season it was, you played it. So I played football during football season, basketball during basketball. I would have tried baseball, but I was a punk. I mean, them, them balls were coming too fast, man, when it comes to pitches. Like, I have so much respect for baseball players, man. Like, you people don't know, man. Like, when that guy's on that mound, he's coming with that heat. You know, I mean, it's crazy, man. Like, but, uh, you know, I, I, I got into football – I remember walking around my freshman year in high school at Hampton High, and uh, the coaches saw me, Coach Mike Smith, who's still coaching 50 years at Hampton High. Uh, and he saw me. He was like, where the hell are you going? And I was like, I'm going, you know, to basketball workouts. He said, hell you are. And he 
this is back in the day when they could just solicit players and grab you by the neck and grab your arm before people started filing lawsuits. And uh, <laughs> just threw me in the weight room, man, and was just like, you know, and I just started working out and I made varsity as a freshman. And the crazy thing is, man, is um, I started school early. I graduated high school at 17 years old. I was 13 in ninth grade at 6'3", 6'4". Mm. And, um, you know, I had the size, the frame, and I was, a, I was a very bright kid. And it was the perfect storm. And I was at a program that had a history of putting guys at the next level from Aaron Mundy to Robert Banks. Sean Hamlet, uh, Dwight Stevenson, Chris Hamburger, two Hall of Fame NFL players. So Hampton High, Arnold Curry. I mean, I can go on Tyrod Taylor. So they had a history of for 40, 50 years of putting guys in the collegiate level. So I was at the right place at the right time with the right coaching staff. Coach Mitchell, God rest his soul. So it just kind of was, I lived in the right area, an area we all know in the 757, the Tywood area that the whole region is historically great for producing great athletes. So it was a great situation for me. So you didn't play until ninth grade. Yeah, because, you know, this is before unlimited weight. So, like, I played for Aberdeen Raiders when they had Allen Iverson, but I never played a full season because um, I was – I remember one time, this is going to freak you guys out, I was, what, on a 12U team, 12, 12 team, 12 U team, and I missed weight because I was uh, 225 pounds at 12 years old. Oh, my gosh. Old. Wow. But I wasn't, I wasn't obese. I wasn't walking around like I could barely move. I mean, I was, I was moving. I mean, um, I was fast and I was big, but they were like, you know, you can't play. So, um, you know, Hampton has it where in eighth grade you could play JV. But at that time I was, I was not as experienced. So like I would play youth ball. If I did play a season, I was a backup because I was still learning People don't realize just because you're big and tall doesn't mean you know how to play the game the right way. So I was a big kid. So my gifts and my skill set didn't really catch up to me until, like, I got to Hampton House. I don't have this long history of playing youth football like some guys did when they got to high school. Ironically, I had a history of playing youth basketball. So it was just weird how that worked out. And um, I got to high school, man, and – um. I made the varsity team, didn't even know what the heck I was doing. And then that 10th grade year, I started 11th grade and 12th year. I became one of the best players in Hampton High history at my position. And you were you playing uh, guard the entire time? No, I was a tackle. I played both ways. Coach Mike Smith and Coach, Han- Coach Mann and Coach uh, um, Mitchell, they, like the 80s and 90s, and even maybe right now, I know back then, you kept your best players on the field. So I played offense and defense. I was on punt return team, punt team, extra point. I didn't play kickoff, thank God. That's just too much running. But um, <laughs> but um, I played. I played everything, man. I never. I played. I was all district, all region, and all offense and defense. You know, and um, I was a tackle, um, and I was a left tackle. I could play right tackle. Looking back, I wish I learned how to snap. But I played. Um, I played a um, tackle, man, and I was good at offense and defense. I mean, you just learn how to get in shape, and, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was a great time playing those positions. What did you like better, offense or defense? Great question. Um, great question, Paul. Uh, I, you know, defense is fun because you get to chase quarterbacks and tackle. But, I mean, this is going to sound funny, but I had great feet, long arms. I was athletic from my size. So, I actually enjoyed playing offense. 
Mm. Um, probably more because it was I was gifted. I mean, and, and to be fair, when you are big and tall and you're knowing, knowing what you're doing, you're athletic and you're strong, high school, even at the, even back then and even now, you're only going to go against maybe two or three of the D1, D2 level players in a, in a 12-game season. Um, so there was a couple of guys, okay, like at Phoebus or Beth, I'm like, okay, I got to really strap it up type. Otherwise, I was going against, like, have you seen the blind side? When you're oh, going yeah. against guys, you know, you're going against guys that come up to your belly button. So sometimes I was just like, you know, blocking him while I looked in the stands to see if somebody was eating a smoked sausage. Um, you know, you just, <laughs> you just, would, you know what I'm saying? Like you were just doing your thing, but offense was, offense was fun. I mean, I just love, you got to remember that time frame, that early 90s and the late 80s, you had the Washington Redskins, Hawks, you know, you had the Dallas Cowboys, Eric Williams, Nate Newton, those guys, the Washington Redskins, uh, pardon me if I you know, offend anybody, but the Washington football team and the Dallas Cowboys, those lines, and even the Giants um, with Jumbo Elliott, you know, the Redskins, Rush Grimm, Joe Jacoby. You know, the Dallas Cowboys, Nate Newton and all those guys, Larry Allen, Eric Williams, they made playing O-line sexy, man. They made it like famous, you know. So it was Jim Lachey. I mean, you don't really have a lot of household offensive linemen now. Um, so back then, you know, it was it was pretty cool. Um, and I didn't mind it doing it. I mean, everybody wants to play running back or tight end or quarterback. I didn't mind it, especially in 10th grade. When you, you know, 10th grade, my first year starting, I'm getting interest letters uh, from Notre Dame, Syracuse, Boston College, Howard, Norfolk State, UVA, Virginia Tech, Navy, uh, Oklahoma State, Florida State. All of a sudden you're like, hey, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're getting letters <laughs> like that. And then my 11th grade, Pittsburgh's calling, offering me, and my, my phone's ringing off the hook. So I'm like, East Carolina, this is phenomenal. I mean, now all of a sudden finding – you know, having a hard time finding clothes seems much more easier because it means I'm a rare breed. And, um, you know, I was a pretty bright kid, so I had good grades. So it was a great, great, great situation. So who was your uh, favorite, favorite uh, college football or college basketball team when you were in high school? Say it again. Yeah, sorry, I'm we just sorry, froze up. No, yeah, you're good. Froze up. Who was your favorite college football and college basketball team when you were in high school? Okay. Now, so, okay. <laughs> now we're going to get into some so, – okay, so I'm about to hurt some feelings right now. So that's my disclaimer. Um, so I'll start with basketball because that probably won't frustrate so many people or surprise people. I was born at Duke University, Duke Medical University, so – I was a Duke fan. I never forget. Um, sorry, guys. I, I was a Duke fan. Uh, I, and, and as an eight, nine-year-old, I was I was remember sitting in front of the TV during the Danny Ferry era or whatever. And um, my mom says to me, um, you know, you were born there. And I was like, what? And they were playing the tournament. And she was like, yeah, you were born at Duke. And I don't really understand how college works because I'm a kid. And I just started following them. And then... Um, I really became a huge Duke fan, especially during the Bobby Hurley. Ironically, being a guy from Hampton, here I am growing up in Newport News in this urban area, Hampton and Newport News, and I'm cheering for Leitner and Bobby Hurley. Bobby <laughs> right. Hurley, 
There was nobody that looked like Bobby Hurley on Shell Road or in East Newport News. And but keep in mind, um, I my mom told me that, and I'm um and started liking him. I mean, Bob Leitner and Bobby Hurley, and it's funny because everybody around the way was rocking with UNLV or Kenny Anderson at Georgia Tech, Lethal the Weapon Three, or uh, Michigan the Fab Five. But I was rocking with the David Tom. Uh, Davis and uh, Thomas Hill and Grant Hill and Leitner. So um, that was the golden era of basketball for me. So I was a Duke fan. I mean, I, I followed them when they had McGetty and uh, um, the kid Avery, William Avery that left early and, and Battier. So um, it was funny, man, because, you know, Duke during that time, you obviously either loved or hated. More people hated Leitner. Um, because of the way they played their arrogance and people felt like they always got the call. But more importantly, especially during that era, Duke ruined some of the greatest dynasties in basketball history. They did. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, they beat UNLV, which to this day is one of the best teams. But that, you know, if you do the due diligence, uh, Coach Terry, uh, Coach Tarkanian said that he didn't think his team was ready to play. When they were undefeated going in for a repeat. And then the you um the Michigan team, I always felt Jalen Rose and company were so talented, but I feel like they weren't disciplined. And I feel like Duke was just, you can hate Leitner and hate Hurley and those guys, but Grant Hill was one a one-in-a-time player, six, eight uh freshman that came in. And then the following year, he just was special. His whole four years. But yeah, now football, uh, some of my first mail came from Notre Dame and UVA. College football, to all your listeners, um, UVA was my favorite team. Um, <laughs> UVA and Notre Dame, man. I mean, um, I rock with the Fighting Irish because they had Tony Rice and um, the Rocket and, you know, Betts and Beckton and all those running backs they had. Notre Dame came on NBC. They had, you know, the Golden Helmets. Um, and they just were one of America's teams, but UVA, it was special because at the time, Aaron Mundy, um, one of the best high school players in Virginia high school league history, played football and basketball, was there with Herman Moore, Sean Moore, um, Terry Kirby, Chris Slade, who was both, those guys are all from Tidewater. They were from Tab. And Terry Kirby, to me, let me tell you something, man. I'm, I'm, I'm going on record, I've gone on record before, before Ronald Curry, before Allen Iverson, there was a Terry Kirby. And I'm telling you right now, if you listen to this podcast, go Google it, YouTube it, talk to people. Terry Kirby was special. A guy that size, that strong. I think even UVA fans don't appreciate him the way they should. Um, and I, let me tell y'all something. I was a fan. I, I mean, I know I'm a Hokie now and I love tech and that's, I'm. this is nothing... This is my childhood I'm talking about. And, you know, UVA was recruiting me. And even before they were recruiting me, they were showing me interest. And um, they were number one in 1990, my freshman year in high school, man. They were number one in the nation. Um, they were undefeated. And they had guys from around the way. And Sean Moore, you know, before everybody was getting those Tyrod Taylor, Michael Vick type quarterbacks. And um, he was doing it, man, more to more. I mean, Herman Moore, what was he, 6'5"? Out there, you know, they had that turf field. And, and my last point on why I was a UVA fan, my high school used to go there 
um, played at Hampton High. Um, Coach Mike Smith and George Welsh were great friends. Um, they still are good friends or whatever. I mean, I know um, they, they had a great relationship. So we would go there for jamborees in high school for scrimmages, preseason games, and get dressed in the locker room and tour the campus. And I remember UVA looking at me, their coaches, they were sizing me up. And um, they had a lot of interest. And they ended up taking um, Robert Hunt from Minchville. He was my year. And he was a great lineman for them. Shout out to Robert Hunt. He played great for them. Um, and then the other guy they took from Phoebus was a bust, Charles Bostick. Um, he was not better than me, but he fit. He had a 3.8 GPA, and he was – I think he was a UVA fan, um, also a very good player in high school, but he wasn't better than me. But Robert Hunt being a great – ended up being a great player. Bostick did not. At least I don't remember him in college. Hey, Dwight, before we get off of high school, um, and first of all, I'm, I'm a Tar Heel fan, so all that Duke talk was getting me – I was kind of breaking out in a rash. But, but you're right about all of it. I can't, I can't argue any of it. Um, but the high school quarterback situation in Newport News has always been incredible. And being a big basketball – I'm a football sports fan, but I'm a basketball fan, I guess, probably first and foremost – is there and I've YouTubed it? We've all Googled it. I know there's Tyrod, there's Aaron Brooks, there's Ron, Ronald Curry, um, Michael Vick. Um, how good was Allen Iverson as a quarterback? I've known Iverson since he was seven years old, and um, Iverson is not a better, he was not a better quarterback than he'll tell you he was, but he wasn't a better quarterback than Aaron Brooks as far as like dropping back and looking off safeties and all of that. But Iverson to this day was one of the best athletes and biggest playmakers I've ever seen. He had a feel for the moment. He, he uh, could play safety, but he could play kick returner, punt returner. He could play wide receiver. But when he played quarterback the year, they made a run to the state championship in 1992. Um, he couldn't be touched. He lit up EC glass. He lit us up my junior year. We were number one in the state. And number one, and I mean number eight in the nation by USA Today High School National Rankings, maybe it's thirty-one to ten, mm. and they had to get, they had to get, it, they had to win that game. They were seven and two, and we were nine and zero, and they had to beat us to get in the playoffs. And um, Iverson did everything. He talked trash to our bench. He talked trash to our crowd. Um, he said some stuff before the game. He got in our quarterback's head. But I mean, as far as his quarterback play, there's always going to be a debate about him. You know, regards to Iverson, Ronald Curry, Michael Vick, Aaron Brooks, uh, even Taj Boy, Tyrod Taylor, Eric Hunter. Um, you know, I even throw in, you know, EJ, EJ uh, Manuel. You know, it's uh, it's always going to be a lot of people in that 757 who are going to have their debates. Um, I even throw in Eric Hunter, who was a 1990 Parade All-American, who went to Purdue and was a Big Ten Rookie of the Year and didn't even start the whole season. Um, he was in Hampton High. So you're talking about uh, a region, especially the peninsula, that um, just had phenomenal quarterbacks. And, um, you know, Iverson was right there. And I just think that when you look at what he did, his little his easy. If he walked, if he walked into your house then and now, you would you would still you would still just be like, hey, this guy is he doesn't look like he should be 
he doesn't like right. he should be like playing at this level. Like he was just, he was just special. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, I, Iverson, he he talked trash, you know, and I played against him in football and basketball, and um, God created him to be disruptive on anything he did. I don't mean that in a negative way. He just was just a special, special athlete. But, you know, what's funny is Ronald Curry, I still got to give the nod. Bobby Bowden called him the best football player he ever saw. And Ronald Curry, in one year, was responsible for over 79 touchdowns his junior year. And um, to this day, I don't know anybody that's been a national Gatorade player of the year in football and basketball. Um, he was the McDonald's All-American game MVP his senior year. He was also the dunk contest winner. And he also led Hampton to three consecutive state championships in football, one national championship in football, and also a state championship in the same year in basketball. So what Ronald did was take what Iverson took, started to the next level. But don't sleep on Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks, yeah. man, at UVA and at high school. I mean, it's I, I you know, I posted on Twitter. I don't know if you guys are on Twitter, some highlights of Iverson. Um, playing football and they just absolutely they're just sick they're just he was ridiculous you won't see an era like that in Virginia or really in 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 high school sports ever again because now kids specialize you'll never see an era where you had that many guys from Taj Boyd to Allen Iverson to Aaron Brooks to Ronald Curry to uh, Michael Vick Marcus Vick Tyrod Taylor Brian Randall Eric Hunter uh, Aaron Sparrow, you'll never see that again in Virginia. You'll never, you won't see that ever again. Um, yeah. And that doesn't mean the kids coming out now aren't great. It's just right. that now, if you're good in baseball, you just stick to baseball. <laughs> hey, right. hey, so so Dwight, I'm I'm a UVA guy, and Ronald Curry, uh, I, I've never been so excited <laughs> about a guy verbally committing to my school, and then never been so crushed when he decided. Uh, I think on signing day or maybe the day before to go with mm-hmm. UNC. Do you, do you know the backstory to, to that? All I know, all I know is, you know, I wanted to get Ronald to UVA because I was recruiting Michael Victor, Virginia Tech. And I've always felt one of the selling points I had to Mike when I was recruiting him to Tech was you and Ronald could be the best rivalry in the history of college football because there were so many storylines between their rivalry and they were good friends outside of the game um two of the classiest people you ever meet but um I don't want to say Ronald made a mistake going to UNC but it didn't work out like it should have because he played too early because Oscar Davenport got hurt um Mac Brown left to go to Texas and Dean Smith retired shortly thereafter and UNC still had I think his name was Guthridge um right Oh, and they had him and they had, uh, yeah, they had another guy that came in after him that played with Michael Jordan to go Matt with Doherty. Matt yeah. Doherty. Those guys weren't Dean Smith and um, God bless Dean Smith. So you don't, you won't, again, I mentioned that's the golden era. You won't see Dean Smith. You won't see Frank Beamers. You won't see coach cage. You won't see George Welsh's anymore. Um, now guys coach here, they go here, they go there. Then they get into TV. They come back coach again get married, leave, scandal, investigation, come back, coach. You're not going to see that no more. Um, Ronald made the best decision for him. What I do know is there were guys around him that were UNC guys. I don't mean – that's not to say anything illegal went down. There was no exchanging of the bag. Nobody was taking anything under the table. But I think at the time, the laurel of UNC, um, our high school basketball coach, Coach Brower, was a UNC fan. 
Um, I mean, to be fair, man, it's tough to turn down Dean Smith. Um, I mean, and if you take a step back, I know UVA fans used to, they labeled him when you're the worst person on the face of the earth or something I, like that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> one of them. It's, we're, um, just talk, we're just yeah. talking about sports here, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I, I think if you take a step back, he had a very good career at those schools. It's just tough because Ronald came in during his high school era into the internet era. And when rivals started to emerge, the rivals recruiting site, before 247, because back then it was just basically the Daily Press, the Richmond Time Dispatch, you know, Tom Lemming, the Roanoke Top 25. You didn't have all these publications and websites. Ronald Curry came into that era where he was so hyped, he was never going to live up to what people said he was going to be or should be. To be the National Gatorade Player of the Year in two sports, the National Player of the Year, to be coming into an era where Allen Iverson had just come out of that area and Michael Vick was doing his thing at Tech, Ronald was in a no-win situation in regards to expectations. Um, for me, I'll be honest with you, I, I would have loved to see him at UVA because Aaron Brooks and Mike Grohl were there. They had moved on. I think the table was set. You had Thomas Jones and all those guys. UVA was still very relevant, had talent on offense and defense. Um, you, I just think you had Womack, who was a running back there, and so many other guys. Raymond Mann, who was an All-American linebacker out of high school, went there. There were so many guys from Tidewater and Richmond that went there. And um, ironically, you know, they still were good, but it didn't work out for Ronald or those guys the way I thought if they came together at UVA, it would have. Um, and to be fair, when I was asked one time, why people, you know, UVA kind of struggled to regroup. I think you had one of my guys who I liked a lot, um, Matt Schwab, who had a great run at UVA. He beat Tech in 2003. You had my guy who I love to death, uh, Marcus Hagens, Biscuit, who played quarterback. Other than those two guys, you really never saw those UVA quarterbacks they had before them. You never saw the Aaron Brooks, the Groves, the Sean Moores, you, 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 they always kind of were trying to get a guy in there um, to fit what they were trying to get with Ronald and they had it in, in previous years. And it didn't always pan out, man. Like, like the kid Sewell, he was good, but he wasn't what UVA standard was. And, um, you know, you saw the same thing when Mike didn't go to Syracuse. Um, when Mike didn't go to Syracuse, he went to Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech elevated to a very good program to become an elite relevant program. Syracuse never really recovered after getting, after McNabb left. They had a guy by the name of Troy Nunes and all these different guys, but nobody ever could do what McNabb did. And like pro ball and college ball, when you don't have a quarterback, you don't have the team you can be because you're looking for that guy to lead your offense. And um, that's not a shot of anybody that, that went to UVA. Obviously they still had some, some good teams but I felt like if Ronald went there, given his skill set, I mean, he was one of the best quarterbacks I ever saw. So I, I, the, the Carolina <laughs> thing, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> no, it, it, it is. And to put a bow on the enigma that was Ronald Curry, he ended up making his money as a wide receiver in the NFL. How crazy is that? Yeah. How good yeah. was that Was that man as an athlete? Crazy. You know, I'm telling you, I, I just think sometimes we live in a world where we are so fixated on scrutinizing, criticizing, we don't appreciate a person's greatness, right? 
to be flexible yeah. to play in the NFL receiver. Now he's coaching as the NFL guy. He's coaching with the Saints. Um, he does great work in the community down in New Orleans and in Virginia. Um, you know, and he did great work in North Carolina on the field. It just when you lose a guy like Mac Brown on the football field, it's just not the same. I played against those Mac Brown teams. We got our doors blown in the Gator Bowl in '97, right before he left. And um, you know, they had uh, you know um, Dre Bly, Bonnie Holiday, Ebenezer Ecubon, Greg Ellis, um, so many guys, man. Um, the kid from Deep Creek, the running back that was my size running the ball. He was a uh, was a Dion Dyer. I mean, they had yeah. so many great <laughs> players, and all of a sudden, man, you know, Mac Brown leaves Texas once again, a culture quarterback. Carolina falls off. Texas gets elevated. Um, basketball. Dean Smith leaves. Carolina still goes to the tournament, but you go from winning twenty or more games every year to struggling because you know Ronald was Ronald Corey was there was there with Ed Coda, but you go from having Rasheed and all those guys and Ed Coda to Ronald Curry and Julius Peppers, both guys that played football and basketball. So they could never commit fully to one sport. And then you go from having Guthridge, a long time of since to Dab, uh, to uh, what's his name? I'm bad Darty. with names today. That's Dar- okay. Darty. Matt Darty. Yeah. That, he, he's not, he's not, you know, he wasn't the right fit for the long-term answer. And that's the difference between, keeping a dynasty going and just kind of treading water and being a solid program. Yeah. All right. So Dwight, how, how did you end up at tech? Um, you know, it was crazy, man. You know, I wasn't tech tech, you know, as I mentioned, the UVA was the premier program in the early nineties, man. And uh, other programs were better. Um, you know, shout out to coach Frank Beeman, man. He, you know, they, he, they pursued me and they, they jumped into my, top list i didn't do like the kids do today and you know there was no social media so i didn't do blessed to receive an offer every chance i got an offer um i didn't have a top 17 you know now these guys release their top 17 um you know i was getting recruited by clemson hard and they had some coaching changes georgia tech getting recruited by them hard coaching changes and uva was on me florida gators were on me very hard i love florida my dad wanted me to go to florida nc state and other schools but there was something about tech that stayed the course, man. And I remember um, getting home from basketball practice. At the time, Billy Height, longtime assistant, the math of high school great, also a North Carolina great um, for football, University of North Carolina great. Billy Height was recruiting Virginia that area, that year, only for that year. And um, he was my recruiter. And for UVA, I'll be honest with you guys, um, UVA, despite my infatuation and love for them, I was being recruited by Tom O'Brien and that's like being recruited by the Grinch who stole Christmas. You know, <laughs> you, so you've heard this before. before. We have heard this before. <laughs> Tom O'Brien. Oh, uh, wow. Tom O'Brien. You know, I remember I was on the phone with him one night and he was like, you really think Virginia Tech's going to sustain that success? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. You got to remember I'm 17 years old. And he was like, yeah, you know, he was, they were lucky. We should have and I was like, yeah, again. And he wasn't negative. It's not like Tom O'Brien doesn't know football. And then um, he asked me about other schools I was being recruited by. And I remember, you gotta understand something. My mom and dad are products of HBCUs, historically black colleges. My dad went to Norfolk State. My mom went to Hampton University. My dad is now a doctorate. He's a PhD. My mom has been teaching for 40 plus years. She's got her master's. So I come from a family big on education. And uh, 
He said, who else you looking at? My top 10 was interesting. I had Florida, you know, UVA and other schools, but I also had Howard in the mix. He said, why would you want to go to Howard and play in less in front of 9,000 people? And I was like, ooh, he shouldn't have said that. And I remember Coach Height told me, he said, anytime a coach badmouths other programs, you got to be careful. So that story I mentioned to you in 2007 that David Till did on me and Terry Kirby, in that article, you can look this up, it highlights how I was leaning towards UVA, but they kind of dropped the bag in trying to sell me on that. And it was their loss in Tech's game, not to make myself out to be a Heisman candidate, but O'Brien didn't close the deal. He actually turned me off. Um, and, you know, you can talk, you can listen to what Russell Wilson said. O'Brien is a great coach, but you got to know how to be a people's person, too. Um, coach Kavanaugh, who uh, recruited at Tech and was a great coach there, he is also a straight shooter like Tom O'Brien. But Kavanaugh knows how to crack a joke, put his arm around you, but also be honest. And I, I don't know if O'Brien did that. So um, I come home from basketball practice with my attention. And ironically, the person that sent tons of guys to UVA, Coach Mike Smith, told me to give Tech more of a look. He had two daughters that went to Virginia Tech. Everybody assumed because so many Hampton High guys went to UVA that he was anti-Tech. He was the one that said, you ought to give Tech a look. You know, they, uh, they, they, I think they got something going. You might, and I was like, really? He said, yeah. So I came home from basketball practice and Coach Beamer and Coach Height were in my living room. And I'm just being honest with you guys. This, you know, stories from the center of the universe. So I'm going to keep it real in this universe, man. Uh, I get to the door and my sister's like, she's, she's in, uh, I'm in 12th grade, she's in ninth. She's like, there's two white guys in our living room. <laughs> and I was like, what? She's like, what did you do? I said, I didn't do nothing. So I go in there as Beamer, as Beamer and Coach Height, man. And um, he was like, listen, we're building something. I want you to come here and play for me. We got a lot of guys coming, including Ken Oxendon, Tony Morrison. They were trying to get Aaron Brooks. He was my year. We didn't get Aaron, obviously. But Tony Morrison was a two-four-star two Indian River. Ken Oxendown was one of the best running backs, linebackers in the nation at Thomas Dale. Marcus Parker was from Salem and Roanoke. He was coming. He rushed for then a record 366 yards in the playoff game. So you, he, I heard the names, and I was like, yeah. And he said, just come take a visit. Come take a visit. See what you like. So I visited East Carolina. That was my first visit. I went to Virginia Tech. And as much as I was loving UVA and Notre Dame in Florida, um, I got to Tech and I felt comfortable. They had a lot of guys from the Peninsula District. Beamer was putting a big emphasis on, um, on getting and winning the state. And what really sold me on them is even though UVA was the better program at the time, they beat UVA back in the old Sky Stadium when they had that turf field. They beat UVA 17 to 10. Um, it was a big goal line stand they had led by freshmen at the time, Cornell Brown out of EC Glass. And it caught my eye and, and, and the rest was history, man. Um, you know, again, I don't want to, you know, knock Tom O'Brien, but you guys have been around the game. I and mean, he, you got to connect with your recruiter. And um, he just seemed like he just was kind of always mad, bro. Like he always seemed like he had a bad day at the office, man. <laughs> oh, that's great. Coach Hike. Coach Ike joked a lot and he um, asked me how I'm doing. And then he was honest with me too, but 
it's great to have people that want you to come to their university that really, you know, O'Brien and all those guys, all those coaches respected my ability and wanted me to be part of their program. So I still, even though 20 years later, I still appreciate that. Yeah, it sounds like Tech had their recruiting game together back then and UVA didn't. I mean, look, whether you're playing football, you're a student, you're, you're in business, whatever it is, you want to be around people that are uh, uplifting and positive, right? You don't want to be around people that are always in a, in a bad mood. Yeah, I, I, if I were you, I would have gone to Tech too. Yeah, and I'm saying I, that as a UVA alum. I, I'll say this, man. I'll say this. I still I still respect George Welsh. I still like George Welsh. I mean, me and Ahmad Hawkins, Ahmad is um, UVA's version of me. He does a lot of stuff in the media. He runs his mouth a lot. does a lot of stuff. To, he's a UVA ambassador, and uh, we joke about our coaches. We both played for Coach Mike Smith and Anthony High. And Ahmad, you know, they love Welsh the way we love Beamer. But, you know, at that time, Welsh was more established, and I didn't get the calls from him. But seeing the head coach in your living room, you know, to take – and it was like a weekday. It wasn't like on some weekend or whatever. It was in my living room. And it meant a lot to me because other guys were sending their assistants or that recruiting coordinator. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have anything against UVA at that time. It was just the way it worked out. It was meant for me to go there, but I'm going to go to tech, but, um, you know, we went two and two against each other. So it wasn't like they, they had any issues. I mean, they had Robin Hunt, Wally Rayner, um, one of the best safeties of all time. I want to shout out Anthony Poindexter going into the sports, UVA sports hall of fame. I met Anthony at the VHSL all-star game. From Lynchburg, he's a class act. I, I dared me to cry when I was at home on a bye week, and I remember they were playing NC State, and he tore his knee. Oh, and awesome. um, I almost cried. I did cry a little bit. I teared up. You know what I mean? Because uh, we're competitors, man. We hate each other for those four hours, man. But you know what he put in, and we were both in the Ravens mini camp together in Baltimore. And I got, I was there as a free agent. I got released. He stayed as a sixth or seventh round draft pick, but he never really played because his knee was never right. And, you know, it's a fine line between leaving early and, and staying late. You know what I mean? So, but look at him now, man. He's coaching. He got in the Hall of Fame. And to me, I played against uh, Ed Reed and uh, Allen Iverson, Torian Gray. And I would put Anthony um, Poindexter right there with those guys. One of the best safeties of all time. I think he's UVA's best safety of all time. I don't think that there's any question about that. Hey, so what, what's your fondest memory from playing football at, at Tech? Uh, there's a few. Beating Miami uh, four years in a row, shutting those guys up from the U. Um, you know, when you beat guys, when you beat Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Santana Mars, Reggie Wayne, Jamie German, Kennard Lane, Holmes, um, Dan Morgan, Nate Webster, you know, Damian Lewis, you're doing a damn thing, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, you know, going 4-0 against them was special. Um, they weren't, at the time, Butch Davis had them rebuilding, but we still beat them. Um, you know, and those those guys were still in the – they were still in the hunt for the conference at the time with us. Also, winning the Sugar Bowl, I was a backup, but I played some that year, seeing Tech beat Texas when Texas was – they probably were more the premier university than they are now. Now they're hoping they return. At that time, Texas played us in the Sugar Bowl. They knocked off uh, the two-time defending national champions in Nebraska. So um, we played them that year. And then also um, my last game, um, you know, playing um, Alabama 
in the inaugural Music City Bowl. Um, they were seven and four, or maybe eight and four. They weren't the Alabama they are now, but even though their fans and the players that year, they were talking a lot of trash to us that whole week. We're from the SEC and this, that, whatever, and we smashed them 38 to seven. It was a Northeastern that weekend, um, and it was freezing. Um, funny story, my wife, then my girlfriend told me my father stole the blanket out the hotel to wear at the game. The blanket from the hotel bed. <laughs> and he's, a, he's, awesome. a, he's a minister. He's a uh, minister. But he was like, he, it was that know, cold. It was, brother, listen, it was freezing. Um, but you know what? We beat Alabama. I know Alabama had Chris Samuels, the all-pro tackle for the Redskins. He was on that team. Fernando Bryant was an all-SEC cornerback. And Sean Alexander, who, if you remember, was the all-pro uh, uh, Pro Bowl running back for the Seattle Seahawks after he left Alabama, would beat him. And that game gave momentum to the national championship appearance team for Virginia Tech in 99. So um, those are some of my great moments, man. You know, um, meeting my wife there, um, my best friends for life, Sharon Stitt, Derek Smith, so many guys. I can't name them all. And, you know, I played for some great coaches and Coach Steinspring and Coach J.B. Grimes. So Buff Foster. I mean, you know, I mean, that was the golden era tech football. Maybe one day they'll get back, but that was, you know, how it all started and how it all began. So just a great time, man. It took a lot of pride, man. I appreciate you asking that question, man, because the older I get, the more I appreciate the life I have and also the, the struggles and successes I had at that university and during that time. Yeah, I'll tell you, Dwight, I, I grew up a tech fan because my dad went there. My uncle went there and they would take me to football games and tech. We're talking about back in the seventies, early eighties. They, they were not a good team. It's like they weren't trying. No. no. Uh, and then uh, uh, around the time that uh, you and others were going to tech, that's w- when they became awesome. And, and they stayed there for quite some time. Like most tech fans don't remember the bad days. Oh, and that's why I laugh on Twitter now. You, you rock. It, this is not rock. By you're four and four and two and two in the ACC. You're still in the, the you know um, position to make a run at the coastal. Um, them UVA, Miami, and Pitt. At the end of the day, you're still you're not relevant as far as a national title picture. But only five to six teams are. Rock bottom is when Beamer got there two eight and one, or the years before Beamer got there when Dooley was there, and they were just a a, a struggling program. I mean, and then you look at some other programs now, like Florida State and other programs who are really, really struggling. Tech fans have no idea how hard it used to be to be a Tech fan. When I remember being in the spring game in my years, you know, you could hear people having conversations during the spring game. Like I was on the field, I could hear people talking about where they were going for dinner. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, now, you know, 50,000 strong, you know, but that's a result of Beamer hiring the right people. And to be fair, to bring it back to UVA, this is why I say the UVA tech rivalry, you know, I don't know if it ever will be what it was during my time, but it's, it actually works out for both of them because both Beamer and Welsh said it's enough players in the Commonwealth for both teams to get enough players. Like both teams can get their fair share of tech and UVA guys. And if anything, it pushes you both to be great, right? But right. that's my theory, you know. Um, but yeah, man, it's 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 amazing. I look at the growth of that university because you know I, I went there and I caught some slack, man, because I was being recruited hard by Florida, man, and 
Um, nobody knew where Tech was. I remember um, I came back home one year. I was a redshirt freshman, and uh, I was wearing some Tech gear around the way in Hampton, Newport. Maybe I was in Williamsburg. And some kids were like, you go to Vermont? VT. I was like, nah, man, it's Virginia. They were like, where? And I was like, Blacksburg. And they were like, huh? Why you go there? <laughs> I was like, all right. And then next thing you know, keep in mind, guys, I was the first Virginia Tech player from Hampton High to sign there in 1980, since 1985. So in 94, when I signed, the last player from Hampton High to sign there was a linebacker by the name of Leslie Bailey. So from 1985 to 1994, nobody from Hampton High was going to Tech. Some of that has to do with a story you may know or know, not, not know about, but a guy by the name of James Wilson who went to Tennessee. James Wilson is also related to Myron Newsom, Daz Newsom, Dion Newsom, and Marcus Higgins. And David Watford who was also from Hampton High. He's their cousin. James Wilson was an All-American defensive end where Virginia Tech was uh, recruiting him. They said he didn't have the right math class and couldn't get in, couldn't qualify. So he went to Tennessee and played with Todd Kelly, ended up having an All-American career. Coach Smith, who's still coaching 50 years in the game, is very well-known and well-respected. And also can be very petty when you don't take care of one of his players. And he didn't let them in the building. Mm. And then the same, he didn't let them in the building. And then you had UVA. Come on, look at the, cor look at the correlation. All of a sudden, all those guys that would have went to other schools are going to either North Carolina or UVA. So um, I broke that streak. And the next thing you know, I get Myron Newsom to come to Tech. I get um, Tyrod Taylor to come to Tech, uh, who's from Hampton High. David Wofford, who I thought I had, ended up going to UVA along with Marcus Higgins. But the point I'm getting at is, no matter what you do in life, relationships are essential. Like, they're essential because if you take care of my players, um, I'm going to take care of you and we can have an ongoing relationship. Even if I don't get every player, we're going to make sure we look out for each other. And that's why if you look at Tech now, you know, I know it's a different time with Coach Fuente and them, but at the same time, Tech had pipelines from Oscar Smith, Thomas Dell, Phoebus, Holland Springs, Hampton High, Ocean Lakes, um, schools in Northern Virginia, and so on and so on. Now, um, those, those guys are going elsewhere. And if you look at it, Virginia is no longer the best kept secret because both UVA and Tech have to deal with Ohio State, Alabama, and North Carolina, other, other big schools coming down, plucking those guys from Tidewater, Richmond, and Northern Virginia. So, Dwight, I know recently you've been working with the Tech, or it's probably not new now, it's probably been a couple of years, about the, around the relationship um, between the, the current staff or just tech itself, the athletic department, and the former players. How has that relationship got better? Has it improved? Were you able to move the needle there? I think I, I, think I have. I mean, I think um, when you are well-respected like me from the new generation and the old generation, like the guys from the late 80s know me, the guys from my era know me, and even the guys that played in the late 2000s, the J.C. Coleman's, the Luther Maddies, um, the Greg Strowman's, the Ricky Walker's, the Tim Settle, they all know me and respect me. So, you know, Trey Turner was just on my podcast I do with Mike. So I think they call me the OG. I think when you have the right people, you, I mentioned relationships, when you have the right person talking to a group of people, then they're going to listen. And I think the AD with Babcock has made a concerted effort um, to make sure that the former players understand that they want 
us around, but you got to have the right messenger. Um, you know, is it where it needs to be? It's not there yet, but you got to look at Virginia Tech staff too. That helps. I think they're one of the top programs in the nation when it comes to former players on their staff. You have Javier Winslow coach near Jack Tyler coaches linebackers. You have Pearson Prelo. Um, you have J.C. Price, J Justin Hamilton, a former player as a defensive coordinator. You also have um, um, not Keith Short, but you have a few more players that played there that are now coaching on the team. So I think former players see that there's a relationship. And I think it's all about just, you know, finding guys like myself to speak and, and connect guys and for people to feel welcome. Um, I think tech, there was a, there was a drop off because when Beamer retired, he went into just enjoying his retirement and supporting his son, Shane and coaching and enjoying being a grandfather. Um, then you had uh, Tim Weaver passed away, God rest his soul, who was the AD there since 1998. When you had a, a new regime come in with Whit Babcock and Justin Fuente, Justin Fuente came from the Midwest. He's a Texas, Oklahoma guy, and he coached at Memphis. He doesn't know about all these guys. So he's coming in trying to win ball games. And Whit is coming in trying to get the basketball program, got Buzz Williams, and then now they got Mike Young. So he's trying to build these other programs. So they kind of walked into a situation where Virginia Tech was spoiled, man. You know, Beamer was there for 20 something years, man. And the AD it was Dave Brain and Jim Weaver. So when you have that consistency and lack of turnover, you can pretty much understand what's expected every year, not just with football, but with a lot of the sports, but there's been a lot of transition at Tech here lately, a new president a few years ago. Now you have Mr. Sands. So, I think all that stuff now is ironed out. I've been a big part of it. I welcome that. I'm really good at bringing people together. That's one of my gifts. I'm also, I know my role. Like, you know, I'm not emotional. Like, you know, so if somebody says, um, like, for example, if somebody says, hey, man, you play basketball is better. You know, they have way more national champions. You're right. They do. I love Tony Bennett. Like, come on, bro. Like, that's not, the, I'm not going to get mad. Or if you say, hey, we got to do better at this. You're right. Like when you play sports and you understand how to be a husband and be a father, I'm a leader. I'm a business owner. I own two businesses. I know how to take constructive criticism and feedback without getting emotional. I know how to do an honest assessment. I know how to work with people from different genders and different races and different backgrounds. I think successful people know how to do that. And I'm very good at that. But I'm also not one of these guys to take myself too seriously. So I'm not always like, well, look at me. You know, I'm the first victim I've ever been at Virginia Tech. <laughs> you know? So it's just cool, you know, I, I know who I am. I know my role and I think people really respect that and appreciate that. Hey, so Dwight, uh, what are you up to these days? You just mentioned two businesses. Uh, what are those two businesses? So I got Victory Life um, LLC, which is my, um, I'm, I'm a licensed therapist and we do, I'm big on some mental health um, and, and big in giving back to my community. So Victory Life uh, LLC is a, a uh, a program focused on uplifting high school, middle high school students and their families through counseling, therapeutic mentoring, life skills groups, and also um, family and individual counseling. So I, my practice is out here in Northern Virginia, Prince William County, but we have contracts in Fairfax, Park here, and Prince William County. So um, I work with a lot of different people, at-risk youth, people dealing with mental health disorders, also trying to heal families that are dysfunctional, um, you know, from everything, um, from teaching kids how to control their anger, career development, 
you know, role modeling. And then I also have Victory Life Youth Sports, which is a 501c3. So Victory Life for Profit, Victory Life Youth Sports is a 501c3. I started uh, a few years ago, um, just as I mentioned, I love sports. That kind of keeps me connected, but it's not just about getting kids to get scholarships. It's focused on really helping kids use sports to further themselves in their careers, whether it's through broadcasting, entrepreneurship, we give back, we do toy drives, we do fundraisers. Um, you know, once this COVID thing is in the control, we're gonna do more stuff in the community where we do parent symposiums on academics and, you know, just really just trying to, I'm just trying to pull myself into community. I mean, I, people joke that I get 26 hours out of 24 in a day because I live my life with passion and purpose. So I am involved in a lot. I got three podcasts, three children, one wife though. So, you know, um, but at the same time, man, like um, Victory Life Youth Sports at Victory Life LLC, it started when I was being recruited by Tech UVA in Florida. I knew because of my mom and dad always telling me, you're not always going to be able to play this game. So back then I began to plant those seeds and brainstorm and I just watched successful people. Even as I talked to you, Paul, and the rest of you guys, I'm listening and learning how you operate. I'm always observing. I'm always paying attention to successful people. I learn how to read a lot. I learn how to, to assess myself where I'm like, okay, I don't have it figured out, but let me figure out how to do it. So I'm just out here right now, based out of Northern Virginia, um, right outside of DC, about 30 minutes away. And, um, you know, I, I got a, a family of five and, you know, I'm doing counseling, mentoring, groups, um, just just trying to help make sure people's mental health is taken care of as well as a lot of kids have a place. Um, we have four or five AAU basketball teams in the Victory Life Youth Sports program, but we are so much more than sports. Like I said, community services and fundraising and things like that. That's awesome. I, I, you surprised me by saying three podcasts. I know about the one you do with Mike. What are the other two? So if you look it up on YouTube, I got uh, the Victory Life Legacy Spotlight, V-I-C-K, Victory Life Legacy Spotlight. Um, I started that in the heart of COVID when COVID first happened. Um, that came before the one I did with Mike. That actually is the one with Dwight Hollier. Um, we have Cancer Survivors on there, Terry Kirby, Ahmad Hawkins is on there, Elton Brown, uh, Marcus Higgins, um, Shane Beamer, Frank Beamer is on there. Aaron Rouse, um, I've done about 60 episodes of Fazel Abraham, who played at Marquette, Taj Abraham, his sister, who's the assistant basketball coach for the Georgetown Hoyas women basketball program, uh, high school coaches, Sherman Rivers at Patriot High School, tons of high school basketball coaches. Um, gosh, so many great guys, former tech players. Um, that's, that's, that's Victory Life Legacy Spotlight. That is about trying to highlight legacies of people I respect and admire. Like I said, we got cancer survivors on there. People, um, Lisa Weatherspoon, a Virginia Tech Hall of Fame basketball, female basketball player. Um, obviously, I've done an interview with Michael on there. And then the other podcast I do, I do that periodically. That's the Victory Life Legacy podcast. I record with my co-host, Danny Noakes. We haven't recorded in about six weeks because he's in transition. Um, but that just covers sports. That gives me a chance to talk about the Nationals, the Yankees, basketball, football, track, hot topics. Um, that's probably not as popular. We've only done 15 episodes, but 
I do that with Danny because Danny and I have done a lot of stuff together. And um, that just gives me a chance because I'm so much more than a football player or former football player. I'm so much more than a father. So I just keep myself busy. Um, but I, I will say this for your listeners. I don't overdo it. I'm not one of these people that glorify working yourself to the bone and passing out on the beltway. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will be a slob or as a slouch, like that movie I was watching, one of my favorite movies, Seven, when he, you know, sloth or whatever, which one that was, laziness. Um, yes. I will be. What's in the box? <laughs> What's in the box? Yeah. What's in the box? <laughs> oh, yeah, but um, yeah, man. Very cool. Uh, so what advice do you have for us as podcasters? With the podcast, yeah, man, just stay true. Just, just stay true to yourself, man. Keep working, man. Keep giving everybody good content, man. Content, and also make sure that um, you know, you you get great people on, man. Because no matter what, great people are going to attract great listeners and great followings. And I will say this, too, man. You don't have to be nothing against guys like Skip Bayless. And I think right now everybody's looking for hot takes and clickbait. I think integrity has been lost. I think you can be entertaining. Like we've had a great show tonight. Like this has been informative for those that want to know about what I do and also, um, you know, my story and other people like me. I mean, I bet you a lot of people didn't know about the Terry Kirby and Mike Vick stuff. I mean, I just think right now, man, what Victory Life is about, the tagline on Victory Life is leave a legacy. And I think you guys want to make sure when it's all said done, when you get to your 100 show, you celebrate it. And you get to your 200 show, you celebrate it. You're going to leave a legacy. There are people that are going to check for this. And then 25 years from now, they're going to start talking about the information and the shows you guys gave everybody. I think when you're in a moment right now, some people are trying to rush to get to that stage where they're glorified and they're celebrated. But when you have your head down, you're grinding like the way you guys are. When it's all said, done, it's going to be like, wow, I didn't realize they recorded over 500 shows. That's crazy. But you guys are just having fun doing what you're doing. And I think that's what it's all about. And I just feel like, man, you know, when you appreciate, you love what you're doing, it's going to happen. If you're trying to manufacture this little, you know, oh, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to get this guest on, it's not going to be great, it's going to be manufactured. So my advice is to live your life with purpose, keep being true to yourself, um, keep giving guys great content, and keep keep having fun and enjoying it, man. Like, this has been a lot of fun for me, man. Um, I've had a long day, but I was looking forward to jumping on today. Uh, hey, you said that beautifully. I couldn't have said any of that any better than you just did. And speaking of fun, Kevin has a, a question that he loves to ask at the end of each podcast. So, uh, Kevin, uh -oh. go, go ahead. Uh -oh. Yeah, it's my 12-part question. It's not a 12-part question. And, and I will say this, Dwight. It's been <laughs> tremendous tremendous talking to you tonight. And, and we got a new saying, or at least I did, out of this podcast. It's cold enough to make a preacher swipe a blanket. <laughs> and i will use that down the road anyway so thank you thank you for that so here's my last question or our last question i guess so tonight jimmy fallon is sick um hmm. unfortunately so and, and dwight vick has been called upon to, to take his spot so we'd like to know as your audience if you you, you could pick a male guest a female guest and a music group and we've also expanded this to say you could you could pick a comedian as well, kind of to get to know you and your taste and all that good stuff. And you could okay. this is dead or alive. You could you could pick anybody that's been in your past. And it could be, you know, who knows, somebody from the year, I don't know, 1060. 
uh, whoever interests you, but um, take a second if you, if you, if you need one, uh, you know, maybe you already know. So, he, I bet he looks like he's ready. He looks like he's ready. Oh, I love it. So, 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 so I'll start with the music. I'm going to need, I'm going to refer back to you with some of these questions. So the first question, the music group is easy. That would be uh, the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, awesome. I am, I, Wu-Tang Clan is, you know, I watched their show on Hulu. I grew up, I'm a hip hop head, but interesting, you don't go to Virginia Tech or schools like Virginia Tech or UVA or Maryland, whatever, without having a diverse music taste. So um, it's not all about hip hop for me. I like a lot of genres of music, but I will say for me, Wu-Tang Clan, when you look at how they change the gate, the landscape of not just hip hop, but also how record deals were done. And also the fact that it's very similar to my lifestyle. When you talk about over 25 years, almost 30 years of brotherhood, how they've been able to sustain um, the loopholes of success and stay united as one group and influence a whole generation of new artists is amazing. I would love to just sit and talk to the RZA and Method Man and all those guys, because I mean, you know, you look at them now They, you know, RZA um, did the musical score for the uh, the Quentin, not uh, what's his name, the Kill Bill series, the, the movies. He got nominated Tarantino. for Oscars. He also, yeah, he did yeah, Tarantino films. Um, you know, he also has been in several movies. Method Man is a known actor. Um, those guys are now in their late 40s, early 50s, and it's still relevant in different genres of acting and entertainment. Um, so I would love to have them on. Um, what was the other one you said? Guest. A male guest? Yeah, a male guest. Ooh, male guest. Who would I have on? Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know, man. That's a tough one. Uh, I, I like so many. I like listening to people, man. Like, um, I want to make sure I follow your podcast when I'm done with this. I want to make sure. I, uh, who would I want to get on? I don't know, man. I don't really care for politics. Um. Sports. Oh, no, I would say Joe Gale, but I've heard him talk a lot. Um, hmm. Would it be? I don't know, man. That's a tough one. Uh, oh, OK, hold on. I can't do more than one, but um, I'll just say this is going to surprise some people. Not for me. I would love to have on um, Leonardo. How do you say his last name? DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Yeah, DiCaprio. Yeah. Um, between him and Don Cheadle, they're my favorite actors, but Leonardo, um, I feel like I've grown up on him. I mean, I, I think he is just his role in diverse acting skills from everything from Django and chain to when he was a kid doing the basketball diaries. Um, I just love his ability to act. Um, I mean, the Wolf of Wall Street, anytime it's on, I'm watching it. Um, I just, I just, I just respect him as an actor. I just feel like, you know, when he's in something, I'm going to watch. And that's tough for me because I'm a movie guy. Um, and Denzel is a is a close second because Denzel obviously is a, the GOAT. But Leonardo's my guy, man. I mean, I think he's only had one Oscar or is he, has he even won one? I I don't he did know that he's believed. Did he? I think he did, yeah. I think, I think yeah, it was the one of the gang. Gangs of New York movies that he did with Scorsese. James I think I, I could be wrong. No, we it was a fact check was, on your Dwight, so it, I could be wrong. We, we definitely don't fact check. It was uh, the Boston-based mafia movie, Departed. Oh, oh, Departed. Oh, the, that's another one. There it is. Like his, yeah. his, when he's in a movie, I forget he's acting, man. 
Yeah. When he was yeah. the op, when he was undercover in the departed, how he was going back and forth and he was stressed and he was spazzing on that therapist and grabbing the pills. And I'm telling <laughs> you, man, like like that scene when he was in uh Wolf of Wall Street and he says, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> um female, you know, female, um, you know, I don't do politics, but I'll say this. Um, I am a big fan of Michelle Obama only because I respect her classiness. Like I heard her speak at the Democratic Convention. And again, I just so I can disclaim, I don't really do, I don't debate, I don't get on Twitter and go back and forth with people, but Michelle Obama talked about, you know, her stepping out on faith and supporting her husband, but she's been able to withstand a lot of people that have come at her and she's all about just uplifting other people and you know supporting other people and i'm big on community service like if I, there's a cause i can donate to if i can speak on no matter what race color you know gender whatever i'm there so she inspires me i would love just to talk to her i think she's pretty cool um but i'm sure after we we close out this legacy i mean this uh this show i'm going to think about somebody else and what was the other one well that's still a pretty good one um a comedian who's your favorite comedian Oh time. my gosh! Why are you doing this, man? <laughs> Comedian. I I think okay. I think I think the answer is pretty obvious, Dwight. So I don't know. So I got I got two guys. So I got I got two guys because comedy. So for me, comedy and action. That's I'm going to watch them. Like I mean, so there's two. I'm sorry, I know you want one, but they're going to both be on the game. That's cool. Together, and that is um Eddie Murphy and Will Ferrell. Um, mm. Will Ferrell, <laughs> yeah, Will Ferrell, man. I, I, I know some people don't like him. I know a lot of people do. I'm a, I'm a fan of him because um, I'll start with Will first, is because he's so stupid. Like he's so like stepbrothers. Like when you see him <laughs> in something, I mean, he, I just anything he does. Like I'm a grown man, and when Elf comes on during the holidays, I'm going to watch. <laughs> so it. Um, I mean, I'm just telling you, man. Those stepbrothers, like him and that guy, like they're just stupid or just any move like Ron Burgundy. I never forget when that came out. I watched Ron Burgundy one time and I missed the whole meeting because I got hooked. I was at home and I just watched it <laughs> over and over again. And um I just love him. I mean he's just I love stupid comedy. Um and then Eddie because he's the GOAT because Eddie I mean he could do Donkey at Shrek and then he can also do something serious like Dream Girls. Then you look at the 80s, he did an iconic song with my man, Rick James. My girl wants <laughs> party to all party, the time. All the time. party all the time. I mean, Eddie Murphy is, is dope. And then you look at one of the dumbest, egregious movies of all time, but I'm going to watch it because I like nonsense sometimes, and that's um, Norbit. Um, then I'll say this. You look <laughs> at Coming to America. You look at Trading Places. You look at those movies from the 80s, his role on SNL, Eddie Murphy has got to be top three of all time. So I would love just to talk. Because he, as much as those guys entertain us, comedians aren't respected the same way um, Leonardo is because Leonardo is such a great actor. But it, to me, it takes the same kind of skill to make people laugh when you know they have to make you laugh, especially when they get into character. Eddie gets into character, man, you know. Um, he played that Jewish guy um, and coming to America. I didn't even know that was him until the movie was over, you know? Um, but anyway, 
That you know what? Can I say this real quick before we, we end up? Sure. That's the best, that's the best question I've ever been asked in my life, man. Oh my gosh. And it's yeah, Kevin. A, I gotta give Kevin credit there. That's the best question. I I, I that's I mean, I've been at seminars and meetings. I think the next best question I ask is if I was an element, what would I be? And I say water, because water could be versatile. But that was the best question I've ever been at, because that really made me think. Oh man, that was a great question. It's also you know revealing it's also it's also revealing about who you are, Dwight, right? Oh yeah, well, I, yeah. I mean that. I, I mean I'm I'm really Kevin, I mean that I mean that you can you can post it online. That's the best question I've been asked in my life. By far. Best question. I'm, hey, I, I don't need to post it. I just appreciate you telling me that. I used to use that as an icebreaker um, in the corporate world. And when you get new hire teams and stuff like that, just to, you know, just to hear about people. But I, I've always loved hearing people's answers. So thank you for thank you for playing along. Oh, man. Uh, that, was a, that was a great question. By the way, Dwight, uh, Dave Chappelle is my answer to that question. And uh, oh. and. But Eddie Murphy is maybe the most talented entertainer I've ever had uh, the privilege of witnessing. He, he he was amazing when I was younger, and and he's still amazing. He's still doing amazing stuff. See, see, see what you did, see Paul. See, that's why I said I would have gotten off this call and be like, why didn't I say David Chappelle? Chappelle. <laughs> <laughs> to me, David Chappelle is a genius. I mean, but then you got Chris Rock. Like I said Will Ferrell. To me, he's a guy like. Especially when I was younger, I would have, I'm not going to say this on your show, but I would have done a lot of crazy stuff with like Will Ferrell is even when he was in that movie old school, when he was streaking, I mean, he's Frank the Tank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Frank the Tank. The tank. Uh, <laughs> Dwight, this has been uh, awesome, man. A privilege and an honor for us. We had a great time talking to you and learning about your story. And we really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh no, thank you, man. I, I appreciate. It. I hope I was good. I, I you know, again, I, I thank you guys both, man. Please let me know how I can keep up and support it. I don't know if there's a thing to subscribe to, but let me know. Text it to me so I can get other people on it. And um, you guys got a friend for life, a supporter for life. I appreciate you guys. Hey, thank that you so that, much. that works oh, uh, in every direction, Dwight. Hey, can you hang on for a second? Yes, sir. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.